Hey everyone, this is Cameron. Um, we had a little bit of a different uh, Sunday yesterday as we as we had church in the park uh, for the first time in a long time. We gathered in two groups of just about fifty people at uh, Irving Park, and it was it was a beautiful time. I was super encouraged, um, and we hope to do something like that either at the park or in the building on on somewhat of a regular basis. Though though we're not planning on it weekly at this point, uh, but we will certainly keep you posted as we kind of form a plan for what uh, what it's going to look like going into the fall. Um, in the meantime, we, we still just encourage everyone who is able to, everyone for whom it's safe to do so, uh, to sign up for house church slash community group, which really do allow us like a much more intimate and sort of non-sterile setting um, to, to be the church together in. And so uh, if you've been kind of on the fence about that, you can sign up on the Door of Hope Northeast website. We'd love to have you join. We really think that's that's the best kind of primary means for us to kind of weather the remainder of however long this kind of COVID stuff is going on um, in a way that helps us really maintain closeness in community. Um, I also just want to mention uh, our, our October book club that's coming up. It was mentioned in a newsletter last week. Uh, but but the elders uh, are all together going to be reading this new book, Compassion and Conviction, by Justin Gibney, Michael Ware, and Chris Butler, uh, which is it's, it's a great book. It, it just really is making a call for kingdom-first uh, approach to politics. It's making a call for, for an unusual amount of civility um, in our political engagement and, and really a rejection of the partisanship that threatens, frankly, to hinder our Christian witness. Um, it doesn't say everything we might want to discuss about uh, the church and Christians and politics. Uh, doesn't even put forward the only good way to think about it. But we think it's a worthwhile book, especially as tensions leading into the election uh, just continue to ratchet up. And so we, we think this is a good way to kind of reframe our hearts and minds. So if you'd like to read it with us, we're depending on how many people sign up, we could break out into a number of small groups. Um so we'll see. Uh, but you can sign up at the Door of Hope Northeast website or the link in the newsletter, and uh, and we'd love to include you. Uh, we'll, we'll try to have two discussions uh, in the middle of October, at the end of October, and then um, you'll just kind of read on your own um, the first half and the second half of the book before those meetings. So pretty simple. Um, if you'd like to do it, sign up, get the book, and we'll go from there. Um but I did, since we didn't record Church in the Park, I wanted to just uh, kind of re- redo the sermon here, uh, just in podcast format, uh, for those who weren't able to make it, so make sure you can kind of catch up on what we talked about. Um, so the text we, we looked at was Acts 2, 42 through 47, and I'll start by reading it. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Um... We are in a time of a forced physical separation right now. Uh, we've talked about it a lot. We'll continue to talk about it. It is strange 
and it's uncomfortable and it, and it brings isolation, obviously. Uh, but more than that, it brings disconnection. And more than that, it can bring anxiety and fear and uh, despair at times. And as, as even as summer gives way to the rain and the cold and, and less opportunity to do things outdoors, um, this just felt like the right time to revisit the things that, that defined the very first church community. It feels like there are valuable lessons there for any time, but especially at this time as, as our normal ways of doing church are pretty upended. Um, so this text comes up right after the, the dramatic events on the day of Pentecost. And, and so what had just happened was that the, the disciples were waiting in Jerusalem, just like Jesus had told them, for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit came, it was dramatic. There were like sounds of rushing winds and tongues of fire on them. And they're speaking and understanding languages that they didn't even know through God's supernatural enablement. And in the middle of this chaotic scene, Peter stands up and he preaches a sermon. Uh, you can read right there in Acts 2 that, that explains what is happening as the, the fulfillment of prophecy and the work of Jesus and the Spirit um, and, and, and Jesus specifically, who was this now infamous figure who'd been crucified, but Peter identifies him as the resurrected Messiah King who sits at the right hand of God and who holds the keys to the forgiveness of the sins of the world. And, and after Peter finishes the sermon, uh, Luke records that, um, quote, now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people, it says, <laughs> became disciples of Jesus that day. And the very next description describes how this brand new group of believers, the, the, the very first church, actually, in history, the very first church, how they live their lives together. That's what this passage is about. People can, can form communities around all kinds of things. Some of those things are weird, frankly. Um, I, I know like as, as a 90s kid, um, I can legitimately say there was a time, a stretch of time, where my community was formed around something as stupid as pogs. And... Uh, if you don't know what pogs are, you can do a little Google search. You will be disappointed, I promise you. Um, <laughs> people can form community around anything. Uh, when people form community around Jesus, it too has its own set of rhythms and values, practices, um, ways of doing life together that are distinct from a pogs community or a, a, a band or whatever else, whatever other thing people are forming community around. Um, this was the first Christian community built around King Jesus post his resurrection and ascension. Um, so it's important for us to note. And in this passage, I really see three big headings that, that Luke's summary can be divided into. Um, in verse 42, Luke says that they, quote, devoted themselves. To, to these things, which means they faithfully persisted in them. These were regular, ongoing, committed expressions of devotion. And so, of course, like we, we shouldn't think of these things as the only important or even the only essential things that a church does or, or is. 
Um, there's a whole lot more that gets revealed in the scriptures about what churches should do and how they function. Um, this isn't, there's more than this, but there certainly isn't less. <laughs> so, so with all that said, here we go. The first big marker I see is that they were a learning community. Verse 42a says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And note that this isn't just any teaching. <laughs> um, it's the authoritative teaching of the apostles. It wasn't just it wasn't just a community that said, hey, we like learning things. We like when people just get up and teach us whatever. It wasn't a dedication to teaching in the abstract, but it was the teaching of those specifically commissioned by Jesus with carrying his message forward, the apostles. And so it's really important to note that like for us at Door of Hope Northeast, our teaching must be the apostles' teaching as well. I specifically say that to say it's it's not about my teaching as, as the lead pastor here or, or any of the other people that we hope will be teaching us at Door of Hope Northeast. Um, it's it's I'm not at liberty to just get up and, and, and muse about the things that I think are interesting or I think are valuable or whatever else. It must be the apostles' teaching that sets the agenda. John Stott said, since, since the teaching of the apostles has come down to us in its definitive form in the New Testament— Contemporary devotion to the apostles' teaching will mean submission to the authority of the New Testament. A spirit-filled church is a New Testament church in the sense that it studies and submits to the New Testament instruction. Um, and this is not to the exclusion of the Old Testament, we need to say. It would have been a given for these early Christians that the Old Testament was the authoritative word of God. Um, but what's striking is that now the apostles' teaching and the eventual forming of the New Testament canon is being included in that as, well, it is authoritative and, and it should be for us. It should set the terms of our teaching and our learning as a community. And this is also a reminder that the God of the universe is a rational, speaking, teaching, meaning-making God who values his people thinking and understanding and growing in knowledge. And so from the very start, he built into the first church community, this devotion to learning. That's number one, a learning community. Number two, and I certainly could have probably should have gotten more creative with this title here, but we see that they were a communal community. <laughs> Um, we see this in verse 42b, that they were devoted to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And then 44 through 46, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And there are multiple aspects of this sort of communal life together here. I'm going to highlight a few. First is this word fellowship or the Greek koinonia, which, which is just, you could define it as a close association involving mutual interests and sharing. Um, the koinonia could, could often involve a shared purpose um, and often involve proximity, like physical closeness to one another and a mutual care for uh, for one another. These, these kinds of things are the foundation of this kind of fellowship to the point where this, this word koinonia kind of became a technical term to describe the early church community. Another thing we see is, is that they were in the habit of breaking bread. And I think this is, I think what Luke has in mind here is just the, the idea of simply eating meals together, sharing meals together, which 
honestly, for most cultures throughout human history, it seems, um, has been uniformly a way to intimately bond and to share what you have, to practice hospitality. Um, it's possible that, uh, that, that, that this refers to communion or the Lord's Supper, although I think the general language probably means he's, he's probably just talking about eating meals together, though, of course, the early Christians would have been in the habit of taking communion together as well, maybe at their mealtimes. Um, we just don't have enough data to see exactly what this earliest church would have done. But at the very least, we can say they ate meals together. Um, and this is, guys, this is good news for Portlanders in particular, that one of the notable things that Luke wanted to highlight was a commitment to food, um, to eating Um And honestly, it's been too long for probably all of us since we've had this experience, but we can probably all think to multiple examples of, of, of being invited and welcomed in and being shared a meal with from someone else. Um, I can think of a cross-cultural experience I had where, uh, I was getting to stay with a family in another country for about a week and a half. And, uh, this one meal they had the, the family sort of the mother kind of cooked cooked a big meal for everyone but then for me she made like a special plate that was uh, it was a couple of hot dogs just smothered in the most obscene amount of mayonnaise you could ever imagine and to be honest I, I don't really care for mayonnaise most of the time so I was I was definitely uh, struggling a little bit with this one I was like what in the world why couldn't I just eat <laughs> eat what everyone else was having But I remember putting it together later that I, as I understand it, this was sort of a stereotype about Americans that man, Americans, they love hot dogs and they love mayonnaise on everything. And so what she was trying to do was she was going above and beyond, not just giving me the the basic meal that she was cooking, but she went over and above to extend hospitality to me to make something that she thought was going to be just right in my wheelhouse. And frankly, I was touched by that deeply moved I still think about it. Obviously, um, it's a silly example, but there's there's a power in just sharing a meal and the opportunity for welcome and for hospitality and for communicating love and togetherness in that moment. And the early church knew that, and they were in the habit of doing it. Um, another thing we see is that they had all things in common, which I think the verses forty four through forty six go on to explain. Um, when we when they saw the needs within the church community, when they saw physical needs kind of come up, they regularly sold what they had and they redistributed the money to meet those needs. Um, and we see that this practice, it was, it was a regular part of the early church uh, for a long time as it gets mentioned multiple times in Acts. And then there's evidence of it being common for several centuries in the churches kind of across the region. Um, Christians were so moved by the generosity of Christ towards them and moved by the tangible needs of their brothers and sisters that they just they just freely shared their things to such an extent that that property lines, while not eradicated, this isn't the eradication of personal property, but it is kind of a blurring and it's it's the loosening of the grip of what belongs to people to share with those who have legitimate need. And this was the practical, natural result of their love for God and their love for one another. And I just love what commentator Willie Jennings says about this. I'm just going to read this at length. He's talking about this passage. He says, what was at stake here 
was not the giving up of all possessions, but the giving up of each one, one by one, as the Spirit gave direction, and as the ministry of Jesus made demand. People caught up in the love of God not only began to give thanks for their daily bread, but daily offered to God whatever they had that might speak that gracious love to others. What is far more dangerous than any plan of shared wealth or fair distribution of goods and services is a God who dares impose on us divine love. Such love will not play fair. In the moment we think something is ours or our people's, that same God will demand that we sell it, give it away, or offer more of it in order to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, or shelter the homeless, using it to create the bonds of shared life. Man, I love that quote. And the one other thing we see is this word together, that they were together. And that's an easy word to sort of gloss over when you read a passage like this. But it, it reminds us that the early church was physically proximate to one another, both in large groups. We see that they had a habit of attending the temple in Jerusalem. So maybe they were, uh, you know, going and doing what, what the Jews were doing. They were uh, witnessing the sacrifices. They were perhaps participating in the, the times of prayer. And then maybe, I think we could probably assume, maybe they had a time in the temple court of like a specifically Christian teaching time where maybe one of the apostles would get up and sort of uh, remind them of the teachings of Jesus and, and, and expound on it. But they had this temple thing in large groups. You know, we've got thousands of believers trying to gather together in, in this wide open setting. But then we have small groups meeting in homes as well, uh, house to house, um, because obviously a, a gigantic crowd isn't very conducive. It's conducive for some things, but not for forming community, um, not for forming uh, deep relationship. And so they, they knew that and they got together in homes as well. So that's number two, a communal community. Number three is that they were a praying community. Verse 42c says they are devoted to the prayers. Um, and the plural prayers rather than the singular prayer, it, it probably implies something more formal than just like general prayer together. Uh, again, they were probably still joining in on the set times of prayer at the Jerusalem temple. Um, although we can really safely assume that they prayed more informally together as they met in homes or wherever else. Um, but they were people of prayer. They were a people who understood the radical, like cosmic privilege of having a God who wants to listen to them, who wants intimacy with them and who wants to answer them. And they were also a people who understood their absolute dependence on God to sustain them spiritually and physically. And the best evidence, this is just a good side note here, the best evidence that, that you truly understand your own limits and your finite dependence is dedication in prayer to God. And I know for myself that the seasons where I'm least likely to pray and have the most sporadic and, and bad prayer life is always almost whenever my needs are met, I'm comfortable and my assumption is that like whatever I need, I'll be able to go get. I'll just do it. I'm sort of the master. I can kind of do whatever needs to be done, um, which of course is not true. Uh, of course, we are all the recipients of, of God's divine provision. And the more we recognize that, the more it drives us back into prayer. Um, so that's just a sidebar there. Um, our, our, our sense of dependence on God and our prayer lives are closely connected. 
Um, so there you go. Three basic marks of the first church. Um, they were a learning community that strove to understand God as he'd revealed himself so that we might know, love, and serve him more faithfully. They were a deeply communal community that were committed to being with, eating with, sharing with, and caring for one another in whatever setting they found themselves in. And they were a praying community that recognized both its absolute dependence on God and God's availability to him, to them. The fact that God yearned for intimacy and fellowship and to listen and to answer. But in the text, we also see some responses, both from within the community and outside the community. Verse 43 says, And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles. 46 and 47, With glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so we see there's awe here. It's this Greek word phobos, which can legitimately be interpreted as awe here or reverence or even fear. It's the same word used to describe the fear of the Lord. But this awe signifies that the people realized they were part of something special, something awe-inspiring. And it may have also been in response to the fact that the apostles were performing wonders and signs. And, and oftentimes in the scriptures, these miracles, these dramatic examples, they serve to vindicate and authenticate uh, the reality of God's work through, through people. In this case, this early church movement. It was God's stamp of approval that this wasn't some cult. This wasn't some heretical movement. This was actually a clue that the church was sincerely part of God's kingdom purpose moving forward. In fact, it's the primary vehicle by which God's kingdom purpose moves forward in this age. And so they began to realize the, the power of this movement that they were a part of. We see that they responded with gladness. We see that they responded with generosity. We see that they responded with praise. And then we also see two, two responses from the outsiders. First, we see favor those outside the community were moved by what they saw. And this really echoes Jesus's words in John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And we should mention like this, <laughs> this isn't guaranteed. Like in a few short chapters later in Acts, like violent persecution is going to drive many of the Christians out of Jerusalem. Um, so it's, it's not to say if you're ever experiencing pushback or confrontation or persecution that you're doing something wrong. Um, but it does mean, I think, nonetheless, that the church should strive to be a blessing to its neighbors, to earn their favor when possible. Um, we also see that they, the community resulted in evangelistic success, like this, this relational manifestation of the Holy Spirit-empowered love of God that this community experienced it must have driven them to want to tell others about it. Like, how could it not? And the result was that God brought more people into the fold. The, the, these Christians were bold enough to tell them about God's great love for them, the giving of his son Jesus to atone for their sins. God was bold enough to reveal himself. And then the people responded in faith and were both saved and not just saved, but brought into the church community to be part of this new body. And so this idea, along with, um, alongside the ones that came before, 
it, it serves to remind us that the church has to be both for the nurturing of its people and the evangelistic pursuit of those who don't yet belong. The church is both for building up Christians and for serving and reaching and bringing non-Christians into the fold. Um, and those things can feel like they're intention, but they're both absolutely essential to the work of the church. Okay. Okay. So there you go. That's a quick overview. There's so much richness in this passage and that was quick, but that's a quick overview of our first snapshot of the earliest church. And honestly, one thing this made me think of is that this, this description is partly like why we believe we can, we can weather the COVID restrictions around large worship gatherings, however long, however longer they go. Like the early churches, even beyond Acts 2, remember, they took on many forms. Some were huge churches, like the church in Jerusalem, that could bring thousands together at the temple, but then also meet from house to house for intimate fellowship. Some entire churches were small enough to function entirely within a house. Like in Romans, we see mentioned of these churches that just meet in houses. Presumably, it's the whole church. Um, my point here is that the, the church from its earliest days is never dependent on any one particular size or physical location. Um, regardless of whatever setting these early Christians found themselves in, they could still devote themselves to learning, to fellowship, to prayer, and to go beyond this morning's text, to, to worship through song, to discipling one another, to baptism, to the Lord's Supper, to evangelism, to caring for their neighbors. They could do it in, in whatever size and whatever setting. And it's the same for us. Like I long for us to be able to gather again weekly as our whole church community back together in our wonderful building. And I really want us to be a noticeable presence in, in this neighborhood in Northeast in, in that way. And I want us to experience the encouragement of the whole body, like singing and learning and serving together in that setting. And I really hope it's sooner than later. I, I pray for it. I hope you pray for it. Um, but for now, this passage in Acts 2 and, and other ones like it, like these examples from these earliest churches, they remind us that, that everything that is truly essential for us to do in order to be a faithful church community can be done there, wherever, you know, in our homes, in our building, at church in the park, <laughs> wherever else. Um, and so moving into the fall, I, I just want to encourage you like to the degree that you feel that it's safe to do so, please continue to try to invest in community here at door of hope northeast specifically through small groups and we'll be kind of rolling out our kind of small group plan for the fall but we really hope that these these intimate community settings will always be seen as essential parts of belonging to our church but especially now when we find ourselves in this strange time it's absolutely essential all right well to end i, I want to do something i've done before in a sermon. It's, I did it almost exactly a year ago at Door of Hope Southeast, actually. I'll probably do it again uh, before too long, but depending on how you count, there are almost 60 times in the New, in the New Testament that the biblical authors use these Greek words alelon or eatuis, meaning one another or each other, to specifically describe the life of the Christian community. And, and though this text isn't 
one of those specific one another passages uh, that includes this phrase, it must be the case that the fellowship that Luke describes here is closely related to this idea. And so to finish, I just, I just wanted to read back through all of these one another passages. And as we do, I just want you to try to let the power of this vision of what the Holy Spirit is calling us to, to bear its weight on us. We start in Matthew and move forward till we get to the letters of John. Here we go. Be at peace with each other. Wash one another's feet. Love one another. 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 Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. To live in such harmony with one another. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. When you come together to eat, wait for each other. Have equal concern for each other. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Serve one another in love. Don't keep on biting and devouring each other. Not conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Carry each other's burdens. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Do not lie to each other. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever you may have against one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Make your love increase and overflow for each other. Love each other. Encourage each other. Encourage each other. Build each other up. Seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Encourage one another daily. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together. Encourage one another. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love each other deeply. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift to serve others. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Greet one another with a, whole, with a kiss of love. Love one another. 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 Well, the call is for each of us to be the kinds of people that are opening our schedules and our loyalties and our homes and our friendships to the others in the family of God and in our church. And this doesn't happen from a top-down thing. It's not something the pastors or the elders or any other leaders can do for us on behalf of the others. This is a peer-to-peer, member-to-member, brother-to-sister, one-to-another kind of dynamic. And when you read through all that, you're kind of left with, with summing it up by saying that kind of one of Jesus's primary avenues for providing love and nurturing and instruction and change is the group of people next to you in your local church. We pray that this will be so at Fedora of Hope Northeast in the age of COVID-19 and in every age that we might be in continuity with the faithful churches going all the way back to this first church in Acts 2. We might look like them. We might love like them, that we might pursue Christ wholeheartedly like them.
All right, Door of Hope. Well, that's it for this morning. Uh, I hope that you're well, and I look forward to what's next. Hope you have a great week.